Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show tonight. This is the after hours show here uh, after a long day out on the old water. But tomorrow I have my fifth uh, presentation of this summer and uh, been able to wrap my head around some of the subject material about crisis management and how do you deal with situations that... Uh, kind of demand immediate responses and are sort of the sort of situations where you actually uh, have to make uh, the decisions that you have to make are quite critical. So picture yourself out on the ocean and you're in the middle of a chaotic brew of wind and waves and suddenly things go completely upside down and Things are breaking and broken and you're worried and you don't know what's going to happen and all sorts of stuff happens uh, immediately that is way out of your control, way out of your comfort zone. And then suddenly you spring back up and are presented with disaster, uh, broken things and um, material that is dragging behind the boat and the storm rages on what do you do and that is the subjects for tonight's podcast which is crisis management out at sea offshore terrible things that happen that we think about all the time and rarely ever actually have to deal with but then every once in a while you do have to deal with them so that's what we're going to sort of get into because the presentations that I have been doing all summer long are about this subject and it's I don't know it's about time I think we delve right into some of uh, some of my experience and what I did and uh, dissect it a little bit but before we start the show like I always say if you want to support sailing into oblivion podcast follow the patreon link in the description and consider becoming one of the 52 member strong Sailing Into Oblivion family that are wonderfully still supporting, even though I'm not able to put out as many shows this summer because I work all the time. But it's okay. I'm enjoying myself. Uh, we only have a few weeks left before we get back on to my normal sort of schedule. But thank you all for sticking with me throughout this. It really is much appreciated and uh yeah, I think it's gonna it's gonna be pretty cool once once things sort of slow down for me, then I'll be able to jump right back into uh, our normal schedule of two podcasts per week. But other than that, we still obviously have all the shirts and all the merch. I'm wearing one of them right now, and I love it. It looks great. Hey, hint, hint. Follow the link in the description for that. And then if you want to reach out to the show, you can go to sailingintooblivion.com, follow the podcast button. And uh, click on contact the show. That goes directly to me. And uh, I definitely try and read, or I do read all of them, but I try and get to the subject material in every suggestion out there. So without further ado, am I losing battery power? No, not yet. I don't think so. All right, cool. So what do you do when things get pretty much way out of hand? And I mean... I'm not talking about, you know, normal, oh, there's a big squall coming in. Uh, that, I think, I think is a little bit of uh, triage, a little bit of the crisis management sort of thing where 
it's a little preemptive, you know, you see a big black storm cloud coming in your way and you hop to, you change down your head sails, you put a couple reefs in, you're sort of equipped to deal with that oncoming situation. And those are pretty standard sort of uh, situations that you'll find in the offshore world. But then there are the escalated version of that where you're sort of in the thick of it. Things are getting a bit crazy. And then all of a sudden disaster strikes. Uh, Let's say something very critical breaks on the boat. And then all of a sudden you have to deal with that very quickly uh, while the surrounding circumstances aren't really changing. And then there is the full-on, holy cow, there's a lot of uh, serious problems all around me, and I don't know what to do, and how am I going to figure this all out? But let's start out small, what do you say? I can remember a time not too, too long ago where, I guess it was, it was like five years ago now, um, heading out across the Atlantic on the trip around the world, and in some pretty ugly weather that was cast off of the southern edge of Hurricane Ophelia, and it wasn't too bad where I was, but I could remember in the middle of the night, um, all of a sudden, big bang on deck, and the sails start flogging away, and everything's unbalanced, and I hop up there, and I see that the traveler car that holds the main sheet on the little traveler track had basically all but exploded into a million pieces. It was hanging on by one little bolt, And that's one of those situations where, boom, I guess you do have to make some pretty critical situations, uh, uh, decisions uh, to make sure that uh, you safely sort of get through that that action. And I think the first thing, you know, and probably the most important, and this is going to go across the board when it comes to dealing with some of these issues, is always going to take a mean, serious assessment of the situation. It's not only what's broken and what has to be dealt with, but it's also the environment that's around you. You know, a lot of the decision making that you or I have made on a boat during some of these adverse conditions is sort of under the realm of is it safe to me for me to go to whatever problem there is on the boat at that moment, i.e., Do I need to go up forward on the boat to wrestle down some sail or something that's been, you know, cast over the side while the waves are pitching and breaking all over me? Or is there a safer, better way to do that by maybe changing the course of the sailboat and all of a sudden running with the storm instead of pitching into it? You know, those are the sort of the decisions that can save your life and it kind of seems like it's a small thing but in actuality just those few crucial seconds of saying oh okay wait a minute is that a safe thing for me to do or is there a safer way to do it can really be the difference between a serious struggle and a life-threatening sort of situation uh, versus something that you know is not so bad and oh okay I peel off the wind I head straight downwind and now I go deal with that I don't even get wet and then I come back up it's all dealt with and I get back on course and that that really does make a huge difference and it may seem like it's like some little tiny thing but you know there is also the aspect that when situations like that occur it spikes your adrenaline And I know it does for me, for sure. And all of a sudden, I go from a normal human being to someone who thinks and feels like I could lift 10 vehicles or something like that. 
which in some ways is really good because I think sometimes that can can actually come in handy. Uh, that that sort of adrenaline rush of like, holy cow, I can deal with that. Uh, I'll just pick that thing up right there. Uh, but at the same time, it can also make you a little overconfident when it comes to dealing with some sort of bad situation. And so you do have to kind of, you know, I like to say you got to throttle back a little bit sometimes and really check your head because the best tool that any of us have when it comes to dealing with sort of these sort of situations is always going to be our brain. It's what sets us apart from everything else. We're not running on instinct, fight or flight, um, lizard brain, whatever you want to call it. We actually have time and we can think and process these things rather quickly but just taking those few seconds to process them is is pretty good. So back to our example with the traveler car exploding, I knew that I wanted to quickly, quickly get the pressure off of that sail and off of that main sheet car because I didn't want it to completely let go. And so I was able to pretty much uh, just change the course of the boat to ease it out a little bit. Um, I didn't I didn't round up into the wind. Because I didn't want it to be, uh, I didn't want it to be flogging and powering up and slamming. Because I figured that would do it. So I just peeled off downwind, and uh, that took the sting out of, out of the breeze. And that allowed me to then go and just get a little piece of line, lash that up so that it couldn't go anywhere. And I took the pressure off of the car, and then went about fixing that little problem uh, pretty quickly. I think it took like an hour or two in the middle of the night, and it was kind of a pain because I did get soaking wet, but that was the least of my worries at that point because I only had one spare, and I think the sort of silver lining of that whole thing was that I found a weakness in in this piece of equipment, was able to capture all of the pieces before they fell overboard and then rebuild it so it was actually really strong. So even though I replaced it with the one spare I had, I was able to then now create a new spare that I knew was worthy of being called a spare part uh, yet again. So just a little, little tiny thinking can, can go a long way because the snowball effect also comes into play sometimes in these situations where it starts out with one little thing that goes wrong. And then all of a sudden, because there's that one little thing, you make one decision and all of a sudden now the problem just got way worse. Like had I rounded up into the wind and the minute that sail, you know, depowered and then powered up, boom, it exploded that thing off completely then all of a sudden I'm in I'm in a, a world of hurt because now I have to capture everything and somehow get it in these pitching, rolling seas. I mean, it wasn't too bad by any means, but it wasn't anything I would want to be doing, you know, serious repairs on deck in the middle of the night with. And I was, I'm sure in some respect, definitely very lucky to have had things play out the way they did. But I also do believe that some of it had to do with the decisions that I made and Again, one of the biggest things is taking uh, just a few seconds to assess, try and figure out what the safest, easiest way is, and then also kind of looking at possible possible things that might go wrong if you make certain decisions. So in that case, it would have been, you know, rounding up a little bit, and then all of a sudden, oh, shoot, yeah, that main's going to power up and depower, and we're going to get shock load, and it's probably going to blow that thing apart. And a lot of that thinking, actually, where where it's like, take a moment comes from 
Sir Robin Knox Johnson's book, A World of My Own. He talks about that a lot when he's trying to fix like the gooseneck and he's trying to fix the cabin trunk on Sue Haley. And he always says, you know, before he dives into, you know, ripping something apart and trying to rebuild something, have a long think about it and ponder. Make sure you're doing the right thing uh, with the right materials because sometimes, you know, when we try and fix things, we can actually end up breaking them and making them way, way worse than they were in the first place. Um, case in point, my water pump. And, you know, uh, that's something Matt Rutherford and I shout out to the Single Handed Sailing Podcast. Hopefully they're doing well wherever they are. Um, <clears throat> I got the memo, by the way, from everybody about uh, the videos being a year old, which... I think it's pretty funny. Uh, I didn't realize that, but uh, not that it really matters, I suppose. But anyway, thanks for the shout out on that. I got a lot of comments uh, correcting me on that and not really correcting me. Uh, people were, I think, very, very nice to just make sure that, uh, you know, I didn't sound like an idiot going into the future, which is great. I do appreciate it because I always am in need of that. Mm. So. The water pump, yeah. Matt Rutherford and I, we carried the same one. Uh, his broke on his trip around the Americas. Mine broke on the trip around the world. And, um, you know, I had a few days, and I had a few fixes. But I remember staring at this thing, and essentially, you know, it has this plastic sort of compartment where the actual handle for the pump sort of intersects with the rest of the membrane and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, it's made out of plastic. It was pretty heavy duty. Well... One day, it just decided to explode, and the casing just sort of parted, and it parted in a rough way. It wasn't like a seam or a screw let go. It was like, actually, the plastic just kind of exploded, but it was one of those things where you could sort of put it back together, um, and I remember just looking at this thing, and I was like, gosh, I, I should be able to fix this. You know, I'm on a boat. I've got resin. I've got hardener. I've got fiberglass. I have all this stuff to make essentially a brand new shell and you know thinking about it now I feel like I might have a better chance at actually fixing that I'm not 100% sure because in the end I did find that the pressures involved with that little thing uh, were just too hard to overcome I mean you know it takes a serious amount of PSI to get salt water to change into fresh water through those membranes and you know, initially my thinking was, okay, I just want to gob on a whole bunch of this resin, put it all together, see if it can just, you know, fix it. I'm going to sand this, make the edges all night. And I remember stopping myself and being like, whoa, 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 hold on. You start sanding this thing, you start changing those edges, then all of a sudden you've done something you cannot do. And let's take the first attempt at this and just see if we can glue this thing back together using a nice little epoxy, we'll put it together, we'll clamp it, we're going to leave it for 24 hours, we're not going to touch it, we're not going to think about it, even though we're going to want to try it out, and I did, holy cow, I wanted to try that out, I was like after like, I don't know, it wasn't all that long, maybe like 6 hours, 12 hours, I remember touching the the goop that was sort of hanging off the sides, and I was like, man, that's rock hard, I could really try it, and I remember thinking to myself, nope, I got my game plan, 24 hours, then I'll give it a shot. Well, lo and behold, and I, I think that would that would go under the category of throttle back because, you know, that I think it's a human trait that we when we have a problem and we're trying to fix it, we want to fix it as quickly as possible because we want to get back to our normal sort of safety, 
safety realm where we're secure and we've got our little piece of equipment that's no longer broken anymore. And even though we want that, uh, it's not always the best thing to just dive right in and try and fix it quickly. So again, we throttled back. I did my fix. I waited 24 hours, tried to pump some stuff through and it basically exploded right back again. So take it apart, get all the gunk out of it. Now I'm already kind of getting to the edge of, I've already screwed it up too much. Three or four more attempts using everything in the books, um, short of coating the whole thing in fiberglass and making a new sort of case around it, which, when I think about it now, may have actually worked. But I even used, like, turnbuckles and steel plates to just sort of, like, squeeze that thing back together uh, in hopes that the I would be able to overcome the pressure problem. Uh, I never did. I never did in the end. But, you know, it was one of those things where... I did my attempts each single time. I would I would attempt the fix. I would use different resin, different epoxy, whatever, and then I'd wait 24 hours. And then 24 hours, boom, I'd try it. It wouldn't work. I did it again. And I think after four attempts, that's when I pretty much just gave up the ghost on it. And that's okay. I mean, sometimes you do have to just move on. And I focused my efforts in on catching rain, becoming more efficient with that, and also searching and Got in touch with my brother, who definitely was helping me at the time try and track down any rain clouds or essentially the the edge or center or the front of a lot of those low-pressure systems in the Southern Ocean. Because when they do that wind shift from, you know, northwest to southwest, there was almost always a big ridge of weather that was rainy and crazy. And, and most of the time, I still couldn't catch anything because it was so covered with salt. But still... In the end, in a crisis management mode, I sort of shifted gears from, you know, going and, and just trying to fix this one thing to, okay, well, I think it's time to focus on coming up with a better game plan of utilizing the other aspects I have on the boat and sort of not not just constantly relying on, oh, I got to get that back. I got to get that back. And that does come into play. So I think that's that's something to think about as well. So you're sort of assessing, you're making sure that your adrenaline doesn't get the best of you. You kind of have to use the old ticker to really calm things down and make sure that you know, you're know you making the right choices and not jumping the gun on any of this sort of stuff. And that definitely is key, and it's so hard. It's so hard. And I think for a sailor, it's, it's probably excessively hard because we... We live in this, I think Motissier used to talk about it, you know, in a few of his quotes, but being in this sort of God mode out there because, you know, you you may not rule the sea, but you definitely are in charge of that little vessel and it's all yours and it's up to you. And so you, you are sort of ruling over this little universe that might only be 32 feet long, but it's yours and it's all up to you. You are the all-powerful one aboard your little mighty ship, so something to think about but you have that sort of mentality and sometimes when these problems present themselves it essentially can become your worst enemy that you're sitting there trying to and thinking that you can just take care of it all so quickly so again recap we assess the situation is it safe is it going to be all right is there a better way to do it after we do that thinking make sure we're sort of throttled back and we're not just jumping the gun on anything we're easing off, and then, you know, we're basically uh, trying to not dig ourselves deeper, not get into the old snowball effect by making one mistake into two, into three, into five, into 20, into sinking. 
which I've always described that when you're on a boat, the snowball effect is is a little amplified because it ends with boats sinking. And uh, that chain sometimes is very short instead of very long. Ooh, it's kind of kind of chilling to think about that. <clears throat> but let's get right into the big one. Uh, this last voyage, obviously, I've talked about it through and through plenty of times, sat down with PAX, talked about it on other shows, but essentially, you know, middle of the night, in a pretty nasty gale, Gulf Stream, blah, blah, blah. Suddenly the boat gets lifted up. The boat tips over on its side. The boat rides the falls down, and we impact the ocean. Huge crash. I get buried and stuff. It's bananas, yada, yada. I have literally a couple of seconds, and I unbury myself as the boat rights, turns back upside, right side up, and then I claw my way up for the first assessment. So the flashlight is already on my head because I was fully geared up and for the first time wearing a harness and all that sort of stuff. So poke my head out of the companionway. And at that time, I do remember thinking, holy cow, I hope there's not the second one. Because a lot of times there are. You know, you get that hit by that first big wave. And then there's right behind it the same sort of uh, frequency sort of wave. I've seen it a million times where... You're looking at these these chains of waves, and all of a sudden there's like one big one, and you're like, holy cow. But I always think in the back of my head is like, what's coming after that? The big wall. But in any event, I poke my head right out through that cockpit, or the companionway into the cockpit, and the first thing is zoom that light right over and look and make sure the mast is there. And just in that sweep, I could see, you know, the Dodger, was definitely roasted. Uh, I didn't really take account of anything else at that point. But when I saw the mast and I saw the sail, I was like, okay, that is good. And I sweep back, and that's when I saw that we were missing, you know, the gallows and solar panel and all that stuff. But I did see Mongo, which made me very happy, and I saw the tiller. So I knew that at least the prime pieces of the boat were intact. And it's one of those situations where, Thinking through what is going on was absolutely crucial because I did want to jump right up in there and, you know, see, because I did notice that Mongo was no longer attached to the tiller, at least on one side. So essentially we were sort of, uh, we, if you were to ask me if we were under control, I would have honestly told you, no, we weren't, not at the moment at least. And so that became sort of, priority number one in my head now obviously there were also a lot of other thoughts sort of running around and I was thinking to myself geez you know are we is there a hole in the boat is there a crack is there something that's gone terribly awry so that we're starting to take on water and although that thought was in my head it was not sort of leading the way as far as investigation Um, I think once I saw that Mongo was missing his connection to the tiller that I knew that, you know, first and foremost, we need to get the boat back on track or at least under control because, you know, the storm is still raging out there and it's still, you know, pummeling everything and it's still pretty wild and we're still surfing. I mean, I don't know exactly what point of sale we were on at that moment. I feel like we were still kind of, well, I guess we were wallowing. We definitely were wallowing a little bit. I think really hard about it. We weren't really moving. Uh, it was quite an incredible shock. But in any event, um, soon enough, we were moving. And uh, I just remember hopping up and getting a line and trying to get Mongo lashed down. One of his basically, 
if you wanted to equate it as a person, it's his elbow. Uh, you know, the two the two strings or two lines going to the tiller are like his hands. Going back to the elbows, which are anchored, and one anchor was on the gallows and that uh, or on the the teak cap rail, and that all got ripped off. So all of a sudden, that's gone, and essentially just lashed down the block that was that corner piece, and now Mongo is back on track. So boom, 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 click them all over, and now we are sailing downwind, surfing with the waves and wind how I wanted to be going um, in the first place. And essentially, once I got that, that was also the time where a little bit more assessment was needed, um, and I started to sort of notice a few things. I remember going down below and wanting to shut off the electricity. And that was a pretty big one, um, just because I knew I didn't have time to go into the engine room, because it's kind of a hassle to get in there with moving the companionway stairs and all that sort of stuff. But I knew if I just shut the electricity off completely, that at least there wouldn't be the possibility of, you know, upside down batteries arcing or, you know, who knows, who knows. So I just figured, you know what, it takes two seconds, I'm gonna just switch it off. And we'll come back to that. And sometimes that is part of that whole triage thing, I guess, where, you know, you've got your list of like priorities. And for me at that point, yeah, it was make sure the boat is at least under control so that I can go about the rest of my stuff. Because, you know, if you think about it that way, in a lot of situations like this, when I thought about these type of events I thought you know probably the first thing is that I have to get on the tiller and I have to actually sail the boat and that was kind of a surprising thing when I think back on it now is that that was that was like the last thing on my mind I wanted Mongo to keep going I needed Mongo to keep going so that I could then run around the boat and take a look and investigate all the other things that could quite possibly be going wrong unnoticed and one of those things that I found was you know, the gallows and solar panels, although they had been ripped away from the boat, were still dangling uh, and surfing in the water behind us right next to the rudder and next to Mongo's rudder. So definitely not a good situation there. That all of a sudden became priority number two, and that was either haul them up on board or cut them free. And, you know, I think I think I had the first instinct of just grabbing that knife and cutting him free. Don't even think about it. Just cut him free. Then we're done. We don't have to think about it. But I remember something. I want to say it was about some like Russian Volvo ocean racing team. Maybe it was back when it was the Whitbread and they lost their mast and they were able to like pull all of it back on board in some pretty ugly weather and everything. And you just think to yourself like, wow, it's risky to do that because you might punch a hole in the boat. Uh, but we're just talking solar panels and gallows, which you know, I guess stainless steel piping and glass and all that sort of stuff is definitely not something you want to be tangoing with in that sort of weather. But at the same time, I, I just was sort of in the mindset of like salvage what I can. But by that point, we're already sailing and we're ripping. You know, we're going downwind. Um, I did not want to go hove to. Uh, I would have... I would have had to set the storm jib at some point. And I think I think in those crucial minutes in the beginning, you know, I just wanted to keep on running because I'm so used to it. That's always been my storm tactic. And, hey, you know, maybe it wasn't the best thing, um, but that was sort of the idea in my head was do what I'm good at doing, run with the storm, used to that i've been doing it for the past like 18 hours or so 
And um, so that was just sort of what felt natural. <clears throat> so ended up finally just cutting uh, after trying to hoist it on board about two or three times and realizing that it was going to be pretty pretty much almost impossible for me to do it without getting like a halyard and a winch involved or anything like that I just sort of decided you know what it's a little too close to the rudder it's all rubbing all up on everything and uh, it's best to just let it all go and so I just grabbed that knife which strangely enough I had in my pocket uh, which I never do but bing 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 cut him free felt like Montissier in his big pacific storm with his wife uh, in that lovely book the logical route I definitely recommend it but uh, and then off it goes and off we go. So now all of a sudden that that problem is solved at least. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to regret it. I don't have to dwell on it like I did later on in the voyage. But uh, I still think it was probably a pretty smart idea because at least it was gone. When I think about had I been able to hoist that stuff on board, uh, what that would have been like in the cockpit or I wouldn't need, I don't even think I would have been able to get it down the companionway. Um, and who knows if it would even worked, you know, the solar could have been all cracked and broken and all that sort of stuff would have been nice to save the AIS aerial, but Hey, you know, no big deal. Um, but yeah, so that was sort of the critical thinking and uh, sort of the triage of the moment. So we assess the situation, we sort of throttle back. Is it safe? No, definitely not a safe area. In that cockpit was just a death trap because one side of it, there's no lifelines, there's no spray guard, there's nothing. There's like an eight inch little piece of bulwarks, you know, the side of the boat. And then there's the ocean and the waves are pretty much right there. Uh, but that being said, I was clipped in, so... I guess I was making it as safe as possible. And uh, and then, yeah, sort of throttling back and trying to assess more, think, is this a safe thing to do? And I think that's that really came into play with the whole, like, oh, I'll give it a couple of attempts to try and pull this stuff on board. Nope, this isn't going to work, and I'm dangling over the edge. This is definitely not a good thing. Cut, cut, cut. So that's all gone. And then it went back into, and I think – in these situations, you'll you'll make a decision, you'll carry out that decision, and then you will directly go back to step number one. It's like always go back to step number one, more assessment. So then it was down below because uh, the boat was under control. Down below, assess the situation down there, make sure we weren't taking on or it didn't appear that we were taking on any more water. The bilges were pretty full because uh, there was not only all the water in the sinks in the head and the water that came through the companionway, but... Uh, there was the the water bladder, probably about 40 gallons or so, that I sliced open uh, because it was sloshing around in the bottom. Oh, man, that was that. I, I still remember making that decision, being like, I got plenty of extra water in all those other tanks, and the last thing I want is to get flipped again with this big bag of heavy water floating around. So, slash that, drained it all, and it was in the bilge. And then uh, I think. At that point, looking around at the absolute mess that was around me, the biggest thing was that none of the portholes were broken. So I kind of figured, okay, down below, it's a horror show, but it's not a threat. Um, so I think what we ought to do, and I can't assess it completely because there is so much water in that bilge. And my concern was, are we taking on any more water? So that was when the decision was made to get back up in the cockpit 
and pump out everything uh, manually. And the manual bilge pump is one of those big uh, gasket ones. I don't think that's the right term, but you know, those big safety ones where you start pumping it from the cockpit and it's evacuating a huge amount of water very quickly. And it's designed to be able to take uh, not necessarily big chunks of things, but it has a nice strainer on it and everything. And didn't take too long to to get it out but um that did also allow me about a minute or two of sort of thinking time as i'm sitting up there and uh trying to sort of come up with the game plan i suppose uh, because the boat was still sailing and sailing rather well i mean you know we're talking about one random very very large out of a different direction wave that hit us so you know, I did think to myself, okay, well, if that one hit from, we were we were headed pretty much to the east, southeast, and I was like, wow, okay, well, if that wave just picked us up from the north, then maybe I want to head way more south. And, um, you know, it was one of those things, too, where that wasn't quite enough information for me to make the decision to act on it. Um, so once I finished up with the bilge water and all that sort of stuff, kind of constantly assessing the situation, looking at the rigging from afar, I definitely was not going to go forward on the deck at that point if I didn't need to. Uh, again, there's a chime to, you know, keeping it safe. Is it safe? Should I do it? Do I absolutely need to do it? No, I don't. So it's going to be all right. Uh, I'm going to leave that for a different time. And again, that that chimes back in to throttle down that uh, adrenaline, you know, keep the brain in check because, yeah, I would have loved to have danced around that deck and checked every last fitting and make sure every pin is in place. But it's not. I didn't think it was the most important thing, and I definitely knew that it was not the safest thing to do at that moment in the pitch black during that while my adrenaline is just pumping away. Uh, and so, yeah, essentially, uh, back down below, try and find my position, check it against some of the, uh, information that I was being fed from luck grib, uh, as far as the current and the wind data, and then seeing that, oh, okay, well, I'm in a decent spot where if I jibe now, you know, I'm not going to run into any real bad eddies or anything like that. Then I'll have more of a southerly course. So I knew my position. And I kind of had a game plan of like, okay, well, that'll get me out of this wind and out of these waves faster if I go that direction. And if there are random, big, huge waves coming from the north, at least I'll be going with them instead of getting tackled by them off the side. And that sort of set me in motion to go up and try as, as safely as I could. Thankfully, I've had to do this quite a bit, but jive the boat over during all of that. And, you know... With the triple reef main, it wasn't all that bad. It never really is, um, especially if you time it sort of just right as you're surfing one of these waves, and you just flop that sucker right over, and then bang. I will say that it was a little sketchy uh, to put the preventer back on because I have to run that one physically up forward, but I do know that uh, it it is so much safer to have that preventer on, and that was one where I sort of had to weigh that decision because I did think about just running without it. Uh, but again, practice makes perfect. And I've done it so many times that I was able to do it very quickly and efficiently. And I, I think there's something to be said about that when it does come to these sort of situations. Sticking with what you know and not experimenting with uh, new ways of trying to do things if you don't have to is probably a pretty good 
route to take. Um, that way you can methodically and mechanically do, 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 one, two, three, you get it all done, you get it back, and you know it's set, you know it's going to work because you've done it a million times before. Um, and then at that point, it was essentially sort of wait and see sort of what happens. Um, I, I definitely was in a situation where there were a lot of other things I would have liked to have done, you know, flick on some of the other electronics and see what was out there, turn on the lights. I definitely did not do that. I made the decision to last, you know, the next four or five hours, just go through the dark, sort of flying in, in the blind, so to speak, and uh, and just get through it until it was light and I could take a really, really thoughtful assessment of the situation. Uh because I just didn't want, again, to permanently screw something else up or add to the chain of the snowball effect. So therein lies one of the critical things of, like, when do you just sort of stop? When do you stop doing triage? When do you stop doing crisis management? And I think that can be kind of one of the hard things. I mean, think about it like if you're, you, you make this beautiful painting, it's almost perfect, and you just keep kind of messing with it. You tweak it this way, tweak it that way, oh, and then you ruin it. Well... That's the sort of situation that I kind of found myself in. Um, you know, after about an hour or two of sort of dealing with all the different things that were going wrong, then I found myself at kind of an idle, like, oh, I just got to make it till it's light out and it's two in the morning. So I got some time. That was when I sort of just kept myself busy and did the whole, you know, trying to clean things up, trying to you know, um, bide my time and distract myself so that I didn't just sit there and dawn on every single wave. And I didn't spend much time up in the cockpit, though I just went from, you know, being down below to poke my head out for a little bit, go back down below, clean some more stuff, poke my head up for a little bit, and just sort of um, keep an eye on things, so to speak. And that seemed to work out pretty well and make it through the night without too much trauma. Obviously, I wasn't going to sleep much at all, but that was kind of the sequence of events. And when I look back on it, I really do think that the, the crucial parts of that, really, um, the parts that I, I hadn't thought of, because, you know, as a solo sailor, you spend so much time alone out there and you, it, it plays in your brain the idea of like, oh, what would I do if I, you know, get rolled and lose my mast or you know, lose some shroud and all of a sudden, yeah, the mass falls overboard. Or if my rudder comes undue, uh, or, you know, Mongo completely goes and now I've got to self-steer without the, the use of a wind vane. And you come up with all these plans in your head, or at least I do, and, you know, the, the reality of the situation is every single situation is going to be very, very different. And you're not going to have, like, a plan A, plan B, plan C. I mean, you can have, I guess, sort of an overall idea of what you might do, but because each situation is going to be so unique, there's no way to just be like, oh, okay, let me resort to page 22 of my crisis manual because this is the exact thing that I planned. Um, so I think the guidelines really and the things that I thought about with assessing the situation and controlling your adrenaline rush and making that always questioning whether it's safe or if there's a safer way to do things. And then, you know, that those sort of steps really, really are a way to sort of generically 
just enter into any of these situations because if you do those, then you're, I believe, less likely to really screw things up and make things worse. Um, it seemed to help a lot, especially especially that thing about checking the adrenaline because, man, I'll tell you, you do. You feel, you feel super powerful. I mean, I was hit in the head by something. I have no idea. I had so hundreds of pounds of stuff, like, basically pile on top of me. I didn't feel a thing. Not until the next day when my ears started to hurt really bad. It hurt for, like, the next couple of weeks. But that night, I didn't feel it at all. So, you know, you're, you are in this sort of superhuman sort of thing. And as a sailor, again, you, you feel like this is your domain and you want to fix it so fast, but you just throttle back. So you assess, you check your adrenaline, you question whether it's safe or if there's a safer way to do things, and then you go ahead and throttle back. And you take a look, and then every time you take one step forward, you step, take another step back and you assess again. You make one, you execute one thing that you're going to, one decision that you make, and then you step back and you assess again. You always give it a little bit of time to think about it before you make anything permanent when you're trying to fix stuff and make these decisions. And yeah, I mean, I, I find that I think, and I, I almost hope I never have to deal with it, although I remember doing the presentation the other night and can't remember exactly what the question was from the audience afterwards but it it had something to do with you know did I come up with a game plan for it or they asked about like the mast or something or what I would have done without it and I remember saying like you know I kind of do wonder what it would be like to you know lose the mast and see see what happens uh, I'm kind of curious whether or not I can tackle that and I think that's just that's just an oddball thing that I got going on uh in my own little brain where I'm kind of like ooh. I wonder if I get a rise to the occasion on that challenge, you know. Um, but that's a whole another podcast. It's a that's a whole can of worms that we're not going to open up here tonight. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think in the end we do sort of uh, when you're when you're stuck in one of these situations that there really is no escape from, and you have to face it head on, and you have to make all these decisions. You got to carry them out. You got to do it quickly. That those steps of assessing, controlling your adrenaline, throttling back, those are absolutely so crucial. Questioning whether or not each decision you're going to make is safe, answering that question before you carry it out, and carrying things out, and then reassessing will get you to a point where you're safely going through this, systematically going through it. And hey, you know, sometimes you're going to make the wrong choice, and now it's getting a little bit worse. But if you go back to the assessment, you got to reassess. You just let bygones be bygones. You move forward. You don't get mad. You just keep going. And I think that is the key to sort of getting through some of these really tricky situations. And you know what? A little dash of luck never hurt anybody either. I've definitely got plenty of that, and I'm thankful that that's been the situation for so long. But, you know, I'm here to tell the tale about it, and the presentation has been really really well received this one i you know i always love love doing that sailing into oblivion you know the voyage of the mighty sparrow trip around the world presentation that one's so much fun to talk about um and the footage is great and all that sort of stuff but this one i don't know it's got i don't know if it's just because it's new or it's just got a little more pizzazz because it's it's not me trying to talk about a nine-month trip it's me essentially talking about one night and how it affected a 25-day trip out on the ocean, and then how I got back. Um, 
but there's I don't know there's there's like this rise there's this climax and then there's problem solving there's the triage uh, crisis everything and then it's the slow burn of me sort of slowly trying to piece together and hold together my head while I you know it takes me like three weeks to get back uh, to civilization while you know sleep deprived a little bit PTSD from the wave and all that sort of stuff um and while you know slowly losing little things like oh i can't use a fridge anymore so all the food's gone blah, 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 all that sort of stuff so i don't know it's been a lot of fun to do and i've already taken a few bookings for the fall which is really great hoping to do uh quite a few more because i've basically got mid-september all the way through november and possibly in december to do some of these and I don't know. It's it's a really enthralling story. It's just fun to tell, and it's as I develop it, I have like six more of these presentations to do here at work before uh, I go out into the real world with it. And I don't know. It's it's pretty cool. I'm I'm definitely pretty excited. So hopefully that might have uh, been a bit of a shed of shedding of some light on the subject of of the crisis management that I went through and what I experienced. Um, yeah, that's about, that's about it. That's going to wrap up the show. Uh, again, sorry for how, you know, how many times, uh, I've said it before, but, uh, yeah, it's just, there's so much work going on. Like tomorrow I literally, I'm going to be working. I start working at like six 30 in the morning, six 45. And, uh, I'm not going to be completely finished until probably 10 30 at night. So it's go time. The old the old man's having to put the afterburner on. And uh, although it is really fun, it is pretty hard to keep up with everything else that's going on in the world. But, hey, you know what? All we can do is our best. And uh, what else could be said than that? So thanks for listening. Hopefully that was helpful. Um, and until next time, thanks for listening.